All right. When we think of Jesus in words to describe him, um, often the words that, that come to mind are words like, like uh, if, you're, if you're to say, what, what's one word used to describe Jesus? Probably the first word that we would all would maybe think of is loving. Uh, we use words like compassionate, words like kind. Um, but with one reading of, of the Gospels, those four books in the Bible that tell the story about when Jesus came to earth, um, you will see there's a whole side of Jesus that we often as a church don't really spend a whole lot of time on. We, we tend to spend a lot of time talking about how he loves us, how he's just full of compassion. But you'll, you'll, if, if you were to just read right through those four books, you'll see a whole new side of Jesus that, I mean, you'll walk away with just a bunch of new adjectives to, to describe Jesus. Yes, he's loving, he's kind, but he's, he's also courageous. He's also, he can be offensive at times. Um, he's commanding. Uh, you even see him playful at other times. How many of you ever thought to describe Jesus as playful? And as we're going to see this morning, he can be irreverent, very irreverent. Um, he, just, he just doesn't show the same respect for some of the things that, that other people would. He doesn't take them quite as seriously. And, uh, you know, there's some occasions where reverence should, should always be giving, given. Weddings, for example, you want to have reverence. Often when I do a wedding, officiate a wedding, I'll always start off with this is a solemn ceremony to be revered, that kind of thing. Um, you just don't walk in 20 minutes late to a wedding. You don't ever see a bride come to a wedding wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt because it's, it's, it's to be revered, right? Um, the preacher doesn't just show up and wing it. It's a, it's a respected day. It's an honored day and taken seriously. And in some places, you know, church services like this one are, are highly revered. And uh, maybe you've been a part of a church where you just don't show up in blue jeans and a t-shirt. You show up in your Sunday best, right? You put the guy's dress pants and button-up shirt and tie and jacket and ladies come in dresses and all that kind of stuff. You don't talk, chew gum, you ch- or check your time or open your eyes during prayer, you know, that kind of deal. Um, if you showed up today thinking you were going to find a reverent church service, you came to the wrong church, as you can see already. Um, that's just not how, how we, we really roll around here. Um, we try not to take ourselves too seriously. But if there's one event where irreverence should never occur, it's a funeral. R- funerals should always be a place um, where there's reverence. Someone's death should never be taken lightly. Funerals are as solemn and as serious as they get. Um, there's, there's a protocol to follow. And this isn't always the case. Um, the very first funeral that I did as a young pastor, um, I made a couple rookie mistakes. One of the rookie mistakes was that I didn't check the music that the family wanted to play during the funeral service. And you know how usually when the family processional at the service, they usually come in, um, everybody's already in there, and then the family comes in, and they come into Amazing Grace or some soft kind of piano music playing in the background. They came in to this no word of a lie, it was a total folksy bar tune that was sung by a couple drunk guys, complete with hiccups and everything during this song. That, that kind of set the tone for this whole funeral, just slightly on the irreverent side, you know? But, but for the most part, a funeral is a place that is, is solemn. It's a serious event. You don't do anything irreverent at a funeral unless you're Jesus. And in Luke chapter 7... We find a story about one of the wildest funerals of all time. You usually don't think of a funeral as, as wild. You don't think of it as a funeral for the ages, but this was, this was one of them. 
So much so that uh, 2,000 years later, here we are, March 16th, or March whatever the heck day it is today, 2016, <laughs> still talking about this funeral. And this story, I want to set up for you a little bit this morning. It takes place in a town called Nain, N-A-I-N, Nain. You've never heard of Nain before, and for good reason. Um, it's a little podunk town that's just ordinary. Nothing spectacular at all about Nain. Um, the, the town's name means pleasant because that's what Nain is. It's, it's a small, pleasant town. Does this town remind you of any other town that, that we might be somewhat familiar with? Um, Nain could have been Ferndale. We've, a lot in common. Small, pleasant town. People come up to you. You're from Nain. They say, where are you from? You say Nain. They look at you like, uh, where, where's that at? You ever had that when you tell someone you're from Ferndale? Fern what? Uh, it's just north of Seattle kind of thing. That's where you end up going. But, you know, at least we've got Locker and Keenan. Nain had nothing. Um, it was a small, pleasant town of nobodies, a normal place with just completely normal, average, ordinary people who happen to be facing extraordinary grief and pain. One of their beloved sons has died. And the Bible doesn't say what happened to him, only that the sorrow was very, very deep. Scripture says this in Luke 7. It says, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. In this story that we're going to be looking at this morning, you're going to see a lot of twos and a lot of ones. First, we see that there's two crowds. Jesus has just left a town called Capernaum where he has miraculously healed the servant of a, a Roman centurion. And it left people totally amazed. They were attracted to Jesus. They wanted to be around him. Everywhere that he went, he was bringing life. He was bringing laughter. He was bringing healing. And so he has a crowd with him. Some of the crowd are his 12 disciples. Um, others are just curious onlookers. He's got a whole other group of people that are probably just following him. They're hoping and expecting that they're going to get their miracle as they follow along behind Jesus. This is one crowd. And then on the other hand, you've got this other crowd that's a funeral procession. Now, funeral processions in, in the ancient Middle East um, were unlike anything that we have in Western culture. Funerals weren't, weren't quiet and somber like we have. They, the funerals in, in ancient Middle Eastern culture, and even today over in the Middle East, are, are very noisy. There would be a f uh, flute players playing a dirge. People would openly weep and wail. Um, it, you know, it's difficult for us to even imagine what this must have been like because you just don't hear, at our funerals, you don't hear a lot of open display of emotion. Um, I've only ever heard wailing at a funeral once. And the funeral was for, it was for a young guy who had hung himself and um, um, it was uh, at this church that I was a part of. The, the, the building was packed with people. And this guy's girlfriend was just beside herself. And the place was, it was like a typical funeral, mostly quiet with some sniffling here and there, but except for this one girl, just wailing and weeping and mourning out loud. And it was this, this I'll never forget it. Um, it just was this very, it was devastating, it broke your heart, and it was almost too much to bear. You just kind of wanted to get away from it because it was, just, it was so uncomfortable. And uh, just this depth of grief and anguish was unsettling. And this funeral procession in Nain, it didn't just have one person weeping and wailing, 
it had multiple people that were weeping and wailing. That's how they did things in the ancient Middle East. You got two crowds. You got the Jesus crowd on this side, and you got the funeral crowd over here. One crowd is celebrating life. This crowd over here is mourning death. One crowd has kind of like a party-like atmosphere to it. It's got a buzz in the air because they've got Jesus who's doing all these amazing things, and, and maybe there's some laughter going on. It's just, it's got that, that kind of buzz going on in, in the air. But this crowd over here is the exact opposite. It's thick with, with, with sorrow and grief and anguish, just this, this blanket of sorrow hanging over it. One crowd is filled with hope and expectation, while the other crowd is filled with hopelessness and despair. And the amazing thing is that these two crowds are on the same road heading directly towards one another. So you've got two crowds. You also have two broken hearts. At the front of the funeral procession is the mom. Her son has, has passed away. And the Bible's really short on details here. We don't know how he died. We don't know where he died. You don't, we don't know where she was when it happened. We don't know if, if she had daughters. All we know is that her son was a young man, which would say that she's probably in her 30s or, or possibly in her 40s. And we know that she's been in this place of sorrow before. Only last time, it was her husband. This time, it's her only son. And you got to understand, for a widow in those days to lose both her husband and her only son was a devastating loss on, on multiple levels. Obviously, there was the, 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 the emotional loss of, of just the pain of having lost her husband and her son. Um, no parent ever imagines that they're going to bury their child. But, but it was also a loss in that, in, in that day and age where women didn't typically have careers, where they didn't typically have any way of, of earning income for themselves, the loss of her husband, and now the loss of her only son, who would have one day taken care of her, leaves her in a desperate financial situation. Her future is just shrouded with uncertainty. She is, has no idea what it's going to look like one day. She doesn't know, are people going to show her, her charity and support her? Are they going to show her love and come alongside of her? Or she could just end up one day a poor beggar in the streets, or worse, someone that has to prostitute her body in order to survive. She's got no idea. And, and so the loss of her husband, and now the loss of her only son, leaves her both poor and powerless. And, and I wonder, is there anyone in the room today who can relate to those two words, poor and powerless? You're feeling poor and like you just... You have no power. You know, economic poverty is, is difficult, but there's a, a poverty out there that's even worse. It's spiritual poverty. It's when your heart is, is held captive to sin, or you're bound up in fear, or you're bound up in guilt, or you're bound up in shame, or maybe your heart is just broken from having to endure pain and suffering that nobody should ever have to endure in a lifetime. Or maybe you, you, you find yourself spiritually poor because you've just been going a thousand miles an hour through life and now you're at a place where you just, you just find yourself empty, spiritually bankrupt. Any of this can leave you just feeling dry, empty, like there's no life inside of you, like you're spiritually poor. Or maybe for you, when you hear the, the word powerless, you know exactly what that's like. You go, okay, I've been struggling to change, trying to break free from from, from my old lifestyle, my old habits, but I just can't. I feel powerless. I'm trying to get things right with my family, with my friends, but it's just not happening. I feel totally powerless. Uh, and, and then maybe this morning you, you sit here and you understand all too well 
what, what this means. You just feel weak. You feel poor and you feel powerless. That's this lady. That's this widow. And in her frail and vulnerable, vulnerable position, she finds herself at the front of a funeral procession for her only son. It was tradition in that culture to have the, the mother out front. And, and here she is. She's leading them out of the city to the place where they'll bury her son. And this grieving mom is just filled with grief. She's filled with sorrow. She's filled with hopelessness. Not knowing that off in the distance, on the very same road, is Jesus. The one who Scripture describes as a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, the one who is the Savior of the world, the resurrection and the life. This Jesus is walking towards her. And I imagine as Jesus in, in his, this crowd that he's with, as they near the gate of the town, I'm, I'm just trying to picture this week what it would have been like. I just imagine them, they're, they're walking towards the town of Nain, and as they get there, they notice that there's this other crowd that's walking towards them. And it doesn't take them long to see what's going on here. They, they see the black clo- clothing. Um, they, they hear all the wailing. And as this crowd with Jesus begins to take it all in, the hum of conversation, the laughter that would have been there, it just kind of all slowly dies down to total silence to the point where all they can hear is the crunching of their, their feet on the gravel beneath them and the sound of weeping and wailing off in the distance just filling the Galilean air. And Jesus, as they come together, Jesus sees the crowd and he sees this body wrapped in linen. And he sees the grieving mom. And the Bible says that when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. I love that about Jesus. Jesus feels, he feels something. He doesn't just see her and sense some kind of moral obligation to do something nice or to say something kind. He's moved inside. He feels something. It's this emotion called compassion. And, you know, don't ever mistake Jesus for the calm, stoic, pale-faced, lifeless person that you see in some of these old paintings. You ever see these pictures of Jesus? He's got the long, flowy hair, and he's just pale, and there's just no life in him whatsoever. Jesus was anything but that. He was full of emotion, and as he sees this lady, his heart goes out to her. I love that about Jesus, that his heart goes out to her. And can I just ask us a question this morning? When was the last time that you felt your heart go out to somebody who was hurting, who was broken, who was in pain? When was the last time you, you had that experience? Um, are, are you the, the kind of person whose heart goes out to people and you see them hurting? Or do you find yourself just too busy to even notice? Jesus had a lot going on. He's saving the world um, he's preaching everywhere. He's training and equipping his disciples to carry on the mission, to go and, and, and save the world when he's gone. He's got crowds of people following him. They all have their expectations they put on him, and yet his life is not so full that he's allowed the craziness of life to crowd out his capacity to love and care for people. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves running so haggard that without even realizing it, we've allowed our heart to, to become so deadened that we're no longer moved by what really matters in life, which is people. People are what matters in life. Not toys, not jobs, not, 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 not making lots of money, not, not houses, not vehicles. People are what matters in life. 
And Jesus, he has the capacity in his heart to love and care for people. He sees people who have no one to care for them, and they're like sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion on them. He sees people who are hungry and have no food. The disciples, they go, Jesus, just send these guys home. But unlike them, Jesus, he has compassion. He sees two blind beggars. He has compassion. When the prodigal son or daughter comes home, he has compassion. He's the good Samaritan. You remember the story about the good Samaritan? The religious guys, they just had whatever going on in their lives where they, just, they couldn't be bothered with this guy that was on the side of the road who'd been beat up, who was hurt, who was broken, and they just walk right on by him. But then the good Samaritan comes along, and he stops, and he does something. That's Jesus. He has, he's the good Samaritan who has compassion. He sees people hurting, and he walks directly toward them. And he can do this because his heart is free to love. He's not weighed down by all the cares of this life that we let weigh us down. And so when Jesus sees a mom grieving the loss of her only son, the Bible says that his heart goes out to her. His heart breaks for her with all the loss and the grief that she's experiencing. And I love this about Jesus. And you've got to understand this this morning, that if you come this morning and you're feeling poor, you're feeling powerless, you're, you're, maybe you're grieving something, maybe you're just, you're just heavy, you've got this, this yoke on your, your life, Jesus' heart goes out to you today. And next we see in this story, so we've got two crowds, we've got two broken hearts, and the next we see two mortal enemies. Life and death are on this collision course. And earlier I mentioned how, how unsettling it can be when you're around the, the deep weeping and wailing that sometimes accompanies the death of a loved one. But I wonder if at some level Jesus was unsettled with what he was encountering here. But for different reasons than, than we would be. We would be unsettled because we're just, not, we're just not comfortable with this kind of outward display of emotion and grief and anguish and all that kind of stuff. It would be uncomfortable. But I wonder if Jesus maybe is unsettled at seeing death itself. He, he's not uncomfortable. He's not un- afraid, but maybe unsettled in a bothered sort of way. You see, for us, we view death as, as the end of somebody's life. We view, view death as this devastating loss of a loved one. But for Jesus, he sees death a little bit differently. Death isn't just the end of someone's life on earth. He sees death as the enemy. It's the enemy. The Bible says that, that the, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Yes, Satan is the enemy. He's the evil villain that, that Jesus is fighting against, but death is his ultimate arch enemy. Death, you see, it's the end result of sin. Death is the end result of evil. Death is the end, end result of everything that's gone wrong in this world. And Jesus hates death. He hates it, which makes sense when you understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is all about everything that's associated with life. He embodies everything that, that life means. He embodies joy. He embodies purpose. He embodies love. He embodies peace and friendship, loving community, hope. All those things. Jesus embodies life. And so as Jesus is walking down the street with the sounds of weeping and wailing, getting closer, getting louder with each step, I, I just imagine him there. His eyes are going back and forth. He's seeing this, this, this uh, dead body wrapped in linen. Then he sees this grieving mom. Then his eyes go back here. As he's walking closer, he sees the mom. And he's going back and forth. And, and I wonder if maybe he was momentarily taken aback as he, as he stared death in the face at street level. 
He's staring death in the face. And maybe he's just a little taken aback, which might partially explain his unusual actions when he meets up with the funeral procession. The Bible says when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. This is where we see Jesus being irreverent. So just for a second, just, just come with me and, and wrap your mind around what Jesus has just done here. Imagine that, so, so the, the buyer, the funeral buyer, is, is the first century version of a casket. And imagine you drive by moles on accident one day and decide to go for a little drive through the cemetery. And as you're driving through there, you notice a, a small crowd gathered beside a graveside. They're all dressed in black. Some of the crowd are crying. Others are just blankly staring at the casket that's in front of them. Now imagine that you decide to, to walk up to this group of people that you've never met before. And you tell them to stop crying. And then you put your hand on the casket. That would be just slightly on the irreverent side, wouldn't it? You just don't do that. Nobody in their right mind is going to do something like that because it's just, you just don't do that kind of stuff, kind of thing at a funeral. But that is exactly what Jesus has just done in this situation. And it gets even crazier when you understand that under Jewish law, touching a funeral buyer um, with a body on it was the most severe form of ritual impurity that there was. Jewish people, they, they didn't expose themselves to this kind of uncleanness because it would mean, mean that they would become um, ceremonial, ceremonially unclean for seven days. But Jesus, he, just, he doesn't care about all these ceremonial laws. He never broke the moral laws because that would be sin. But he was always breaking these ceremonial laws, the laws that would get in the way of people encountering his life-giving presence. He's not concerned about becoming unclean Rather, he came to expose the unclean, to expose that which has no life to his life-giving power. And so he walks up to the mom and says, don't cry. And he doesn't try to console her in her grief because he's come to do something better than that. He's come not to just console her in her grief. He has come to remove the cause of her grief. He's come to raise that which is dead back to life. And when you don't have Jesus, the best that you can say when you run into someone who's hurting, who has pain or sadness of any kind, the best you can do is say, you know what, you can make it, you can do this, you know, I'm there for you. But with Jesus, all that changes. Only Jesus can come along and say, don't cry because I'm about to do the impossible. Only Jesus can say, you're full of hopelessness, I can change that, I can give you hope. Full of emptiness, I can change that, I can come in and fill you with life. Full of sickness, yeah, I can come in, I can take care of that too. The time you might not be the same as yours, but I can heal. Keep believing. Full of fear and doubt, I can change that too, Jesus says. I can give you faith that will move mountains. And he comes along, he tells the grieving mom not to cry, and then he looks at her son and he says, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up, and then the Bible says he began to talk. You wonder what that conversation was about, what he was talking about? I think I have a pretty good guess. The subject of the conversation probably depends on where he just came from. Either he's going, um, 
you guys won't believe where I just came from. Man, heaven is absolutely incredible. It's this glorious, awesome place. Or he wakes up with wide-eyed terror combined with a massive sense of relief, the kind of relief you get when you wake up from a dream and you realize that you're not actually drowning in the bottom of the ocean kind of, kind of moment. And, and he's going, he's going, Jesus, you have no idea how good it is to see you. What, what do I need to do to be saved? I choose you, Jesus. I choose life. I don't want death. I'm never going back there, Jesus. I, I'm following you no matter what. And so he sits up and he begins to talk. And meanwhile, the boy's mom is standing there in total shock and with a heart just bursting with joy. And the Bible says that in this, just this real act of loving tenderness, Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. And what we find in the rest of the story is this. We find one saved life. Jesus brings this dead man back to life. He saves him. We find one thankful soul. We find this mom who was just beside herself. She was deep in mourning, deep in grief, future cloud with uncertainty. Jesus comes along in a moment, changes that, and we have a thankful heart. Next, we see we have one worshiping family. They were all filled with awe and were praising God. Next, we have one purpose served. At the end of this, the, the Bible says that news about Jesus spread. And you see, whenever Jesus restores someone, whenever Jesus comes along and he raises the dead back to life, whenever Jesus takes what's broken and heals it, ultimately at the end of the day, it is all about the name of Jesus being lifted high. That is the purpose in everything, so that his name will be lifted high and so that many others will, will, will see him for who he is and have their lives restored too. And then last we see we have one triumphant Savior. Jesus wins. Jesus wins every time. Life wins. Death doesn't win. Life wins. And with Jesus, death it doesn't have the final say. With Jesus, death loses. Scripture says this. It says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death doesn't have the last word with the, widow, the, the son of the widow from Nain. And I want you to know this morning that death does not need to have the last word with you either. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never put your faith in him, you've, you've never turned from your sin and turned to Jesus, um, I don't want you to leave here thinking that things are okay with you because they're not. You're in a position, when you don't, haven't given your life to Jesus, you're in a position where death will have the final word with you. In the Bible, it talks about two deaths. It talks about this, the, the first death is the death that we're all going to experience one day. Um, this life is going to come to an end. But the second death that the Bible talks about is an eternal one. It's one where, that, that we all deserve because of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the good news for all of us in the room today is that Jesus has made a way so that we don't have to experience that death. He set us, he's made a way for us to be free from this penalty. He came to give us life. He died on the cross for our sin. It's what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks as we get into the Passion Week and, and we just remember what Jesus did on the cross. He died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to be under this, this weight of death. He came and made a way for us to be raised to life. And we call this salvation. 
We call it salvation for reasons because that's what it is. It's Jesus saving us from death. And this salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. Um, it, no amount of good works, no amount of good deeds, no amount of going to church, no amount of being nice, none of that kind of stuff. You can't earn this salvation. It's a gift that we all receive by faith. Believing that Jesus is who he says he is and then trusting him enough to turn from your ways and follow him. And my question for us this morning is, do you know Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? Have you traded your coffin for a new life? Have you chosen life over death? Jesus is the only one that can turn a funeral into a party. He is the only one that can do that. He came to bring life. He came to take what was dead and make it alive. The Bible says that when we give our lives to him, that we are made alive in Christ. And he wants to bring life to us today. Let's pray together. Lord, I am so thankful that you are, a, Lord, a savior to us. I thank you that you're a loving heavenly father. I thank you, Lord, that when you see us in a place of being broken, being powerless, spiritually poor. Lord, when you see us in that spot down there in the deep, miry clay, Jesus, you just don't walk on by. Lord, your heart goes out to us. And Lord, I pray for anyone in the room this morning that has never put their faith in you, Jesus, that has never said, okay, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to turn from my sin and my way, and Jesus, I'm going to turn and put my faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray that today would be that day. That today would be that day where they say, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I wonder this morning, is there anybody here who's in that boat? You're going, okay, I want to I put my faith and trust in Jesus today. I want to follow him. If that's you this morning, while every head is bowed and eye closed, why don't you just slip your hand up this morning? I would love to pray for you today. Is there anybody here? You're going, today, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus and follow him. Anybody here? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for these hands that have been raised. God, we celebrate this morning life. We celebrate, Jesus, how you take the dead, and Lord, you make it alive, and we put our faith and trust in you, and you've done that here this morning. And Lord, I pray for each one of these hands that went up. Jesus, I pray that, that Lord, uh, today would mark the day of a, a new beginning, a new journey. God, where you've taken the old and you make it new. God, you bring life where there is no life. And Lord, I thank you that, that, that you forgive sins, that Jesus, you make us new the moment that we put our faith and trust in you. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, for each one of these, God, as they follow you, as they, as they go where you're leading them to go, Lord, as they uh, walk this journey with you, that Jesus, you would be their strength, that Jesus, you'd be their guide, that Jesus, you would bring people in their lives who can walk alongside of them, who can show them the way, help them understand what it means to be a follower of you. Lord, I'm so thankful this morning for new life. Thank you for that, Jesus. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that over the next couple weeks, God, as many, uh, God, as many unchurched people come in, into this building, Lord, to take part in Easter services, and not just here, but, Lord, all over the county, I pray, Jesus, that many would find you, that, God, many would be made alive as they put their faith and trust in you, Jesus. And I thank you for that, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen.